Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Uh, anyway, get your Bibles open to the book of Acts, chapter number one. This morning, we are getting back to my bread and butter. Uh, I like expository preaching. Um, I like taking a, a section of scripture, whether it be a book or a chapter, and just going verse by verse and slowly dissecting it and looking at it in context, looking at it in the culture and how it applies to us. And for the last uh, couple of months now, we've been on topical preaching. We had Advent, of course, and you know, you, you're preaching through the, the Advent season. And then at the beginning of the year, we started a four-week series on prayer, and so it was kind of topical, and topical's okay. I like topical occasionally, but I really like diving into Scripture and taking our time and walking through it. So this morning, we are going to begin a study through the book of Acts. I was talking to April about this, and she asked me, she goes, well, how, how long's uh, this study through the book of Acts going to take you? And I told her, I really, I don't know, uh, because of course, you know, the book of Acts has 28 chapters and it took me 18 months to get through three chapters of Matthew. So I don't think it's going to take me 30 years, but if it does, there's some good stuff in the book of Acts, amen? And uh, so we're going to look at the book of Acts for a while. And of course, you're like, well, I thought we were talking about prayer this year, and we are. Uh, every if, if you can't see prayer in the book of Acts, you're not reading at all. Because the whole book of Acts, yes, it's about the history of the church and how the church started and the work that was begun a couple thousand years ago in the first church, but it's all done through prayer. Every chapter in Acts has prayer represented. So we're going to begin looking at uh, the book of Acts this morning. So uh, Acts chapter 1. Now, there are a lot of things that come to mind when you hear the word church. Every one of us has something different that pops in our head. When someone asks about church or mentions church, we all have something that, that comes to mind. Maybe you think of a building. When someone says church, your, your mind may go to this building and think, man, this, this is what church is. It may not be this building, maybe a different building. Maybe, maybe you think of a gathering of people. You think of a family. This is my church family. Maybe you, you think of some type of hurt that you've dealt with through the church. Maybe uh, you think of a religious organization. Maybe when people talk about church, you think it, it's got to be done in a certain way. Churches, Sunday morning, 11 a.m., Traditional music, this is the type of the way it does, this is what's preached, this is how it's preached, this is what's preached, this is when it's preached. It's done in you know, 45 minutes, and then we go home and come back. And so you may think of church that way, but whatever you think about, when you hear the word church, it is different than what the original church was like. It is different than how we understand church today. They understood church in a vastly different way. To the first century church, the first century believers, church was not a place. Uh, it was not a, a organization you, you were part of. It wasn't a service you went to. Church was a movement. Uh, it was a movement built 
and founded under the conviction and the belief of the gospel. They had a conviction that Jesus Christ had died for their sins and that he was the only savior. They had seen him die. They had seen him rise from the grave. They had spent 40 days with him and they, they knew and believed firmly that he was the rightful savior and Lord and that people all over the world were to repent of their sins and they were invited to come and live in a relationship with him. The word church in the Bible is the Greek word Ecclesia. It's a, it's a compound word. It's made up of two different words. It's made up of a word that means call and a word that means out. It literally means to call out of. Now, when you look at the word ecclesia, it means a called out assembly. It is a group of people who were called out of something. They were called out of idolatry. They were called out of false religion. They were called out of whatever it is they were putting their faith and their trust in. But they were not only called out of that, they were called to a relationship with Jesus Christ. So they are called out of something to something else, else to the belief that Jesus is the Savior. Now over the years, the idea of church began to change. Uh, people began to think of church not as a movement that you were a part of, but they began to think of it as a, uh, a, a place you went for religious purposes. Now, we said the, the Greek word for church is, comes from, the word for church in the Bible comes from the Greek word ekklesia. Our English word for church does not come from ekklesia. It comes from a German word. The German word is kirch. So we get our English word church from the German word kirch. And kirch literally means a sacred place to gather for religious purposes. You see the difference in how the first century understood church? To them, church was a called out assembly of believers for a purpose. Now, to us, church is a place you go for religious purposes, for religious services, to feel religious. There was a shift in thinking about how people related and how people uh, believed, what the church believed, people believed the church to be. Church went from being a movement to a place you go. In the, the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages, the, the church was a place that you would attend events. You would go get services to help you in life. It was a place you went to, and it was controlled by powerful people. The religious elite controlled the church, and therefore the religious elite controlled the people because the people came to the church, and those in charge were in control of them. So the church became an institution to provide services. But then God raised up a group of people known as the Reformers. One of the, the biggest Reformers for the English-speaking people is a man named William Tyndale. And if you've never heard about William Tyndale, uh, you need to do some church history, first of all. 
And then when you get to heaven, you need to thank him because he's the reason you have a copy of the Bible in your language. Because William Tyndale, he had the conviction that Christianity wasn't a place you went. It wasn't a building. But he knew that Christianity was a movement and that people needed to understand the message of the gospel so they could be a part of that movement. And up until this point, the, the Bible wasn't written in the common language. The only people who had a copy of the Word of God were the religious elite, those who had studied and gone to school. And so they controlled how people understood the Bible. Because if you're, a, you're a, 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 you know, a, a regular person, I'm not trying to mean that derogatorily, you're not a, a priest or a, a religious elite, and so you come to church, you can't read the Bible because it's not in the language you understand. You have to believe the guy who's up there telling you this is what the Bible says. That's why I am always telling you, don't trust what I'm telling you. Read the Bible yourself. You know, I've often joked, sometimes I want to just preach heresy to see who catches me. You know, preach something off the wall so people are like, uh, Pastor, I was reading my Bible and it doesn't say that. I was like, hey, you paid attention, you read your Bible good. Uh, I've not done it yet uh, that you know of. But, uh, <coughs> but that's why I encourage you, read the Bible yourself. Study the scripture yourself. And William Tyndale knew and believed that if you were going to be part of this, this movement of Christ, if you were going to be part of the church of God, then you had to understand the word of God and not leave it up to some man to tell you what it said. So he was determined and his life's work was to dedicate, was to translate the Bible into English. That's where we get our Tyndale Bible. None of you have read it uh, because, it's a, again, it's, it's English, but it's not our English. It's a, it's a vast, even the King James is English, but not our English. Uh, but, you know, so it's a different type of English, and we really can't understand it in the way it's written. But he, he dedicated his life to translating the Bible, the Word of God, into an English version that everybody could understand. And when he came to the word ecclesia, he didn't translate it church. He translated it congregation. Because he understood. At that time, the church was a place. Ecclesia was a group. And so he was trying to get them to understand. The church isn't a building you go to. It's not a, a place you go to get blessed and to hear the word of God. The church is the people of God. The church is God's people coming together, coming out of idolatry and out of false religion for this purpose of getting the gospel to the entire world. World. He wanted to show that the, play, the church was not a place you go to, but it was a movement you were a part of. Now, to thank him for his wonderful work of translating the Bible into English, church leaders labeled him a heretic and killed him. He was hung, didn't die, so they burned him at the stake. Pretty serious stuff. They took it very seriously. The church leaders didn't want the common man to know what the Bible said because they wanted to understand. But before he died, he said this, if God, talking to the religious leaders who put him on trial, if God spares my life, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. He was passionate about getting the word of God to everybody. Now, through his efforts, through his faith, we have the Bible today. We have a copy of the Word of God 
and out. And look, you got a lot of copies of the Word of God in your language. There's all kinds of English translations you can read. That Because look, I understand the King James, it, it's, it's the one I like. I'm used to it. I, I read it. But some of, the, some of the archaic language is a little hard for us to understand. Because again, this is 1611 English. If you haven't noticed, it's not 1611 anymore. It's 2022. So we look at words as some, like for instance, talks about our, you know, Paul says, our conversation is on high. Conversation in the Greek doesn't mean conversation. It means nationality, citizenship. So when we're, oh, my conversation is on high. Well, no, your citizenship is in heaven. That's what he's talking about. So anyway, because of William Tyndale's faith and efforts and many men after him, you have a copy of the word of God that you could understand because he knew that the church wasn't a place that you go to for someone to tell you about God. The church was a movement for God. It was a group of people gathered around this movement and dedicated to that movement. Now, again, it's, we're, we're way past the Dark Ages. We're way past the Middle Ages. It's 2022. We are enlightened. We are educated. We know things. But there is still a great danger today of the church not being a movement of God's people for God's kingdom, but the church becoming a place you attend or a service you go to. Movements move. Movements are active. And so we have to, if we are part of a movement of God, then by definition, we have to be moving. So you have to ask yourself, are you part of a movement or are you just doing church? Is church something you want to be part of to accomplish something, to build God's kingdom? Or is church just a place I'm going to go to once a week to hear a message, not a great one, but I'm going to hear one anyway, so I can feel good about myself. I can check my spiritual box off and say I've done my spiritual duty. I went to church. Church isn't a place. Look, this building is not a church. We are the church. If this building burned down tomorrow, we'd still have a church. We'd come and meet in a parking lot, but guess what? We're still a church. Because church isn't a building. Church is a movement of people. So we're going to begin a new study looking at, through the book of Acts to see what made this group of believers so passionate, so effective in their movement for God. So once you get your Bible to open Acts chapter 1, we're going to start reading in verse number 6. Don't worry, we're going to go back to verse number 1 in a bit. But Acts chapter 1, verse number 6, the Bible says, When they therefore... Were come together, they asked of him, good, it's still working. When they were therefore come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the time or the seasons of which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, this group of people, these men who are gathered 
uh, they're on the Mount of Olives, they're, they're with Jesus. This group of people, they had 43 days earlier, they had seen Jesus brutally murdered on the cross. They'd seen him beaten beyond recognition. They'd seen him spit upon. They'd seen him be ridiculed. They saw him nailed to the cross and lifted up and put down and and hung between heaven and earth. They saw him suffer. They saw him die. They saw them pierce his side with with the spear and blood pour out. They saw him die. Three days later, they saw him alive. Now, None of them were there, which always boggles my mind. You know, you're, you read the Bible, and Jesus told him time and time again. Yeah, he told him in parables, but sometimes he plainly said, hey, guys, I'm going to die, but three days later I'm coming back. Be sure to be there. So when he died, three days later, guess who was there waiting for him? None of them. Mary and the women, they weren't there waiting for him. They were there to anoint his body. But anyway, so... Jesus, he rises three days later. He comes out. None of the apostles are there, so he goes and finds them. But he makes himself known to them. And so three days later, they all spend time with the risen Savior. And they've been with the risen Savior for 40 days. They saw him die. And remember, these men, they gave up everything to follow Jesus. They were risking their lives to follow Jesus. And when he died, their lives were, they were crushed. I mean, Peter's like, I'm going back to fishing. Forget, I gave up my life for this. Now he's dead, I'm going back fishing. But then he's risen. So now they spent 40 days with the risen Savior. And now they're on the Mount of Olives and Jesus is leaving again. They're, they're very nervous. They're scared. They're uncertain about what the future is going to hold. So they ask Jesus a question. Because remember, he told them before, I'm going to die three days later, come back. He died. They didn't believe him, but he came back three days later. So now he's saying, I'm leaving again. So they're like, okay, you're leaving again. Now when are you coming back? Because we're going to believe you. You give us a date, we'll be here. So you're leaving. When are you coming back? And Jesus says, it's none of your business. Now another scripture goes, I'll, you know, I don't even know when I'm coming back. The father is the only one that knows, and he hasn't told me, but he goes, it's not none of your concern. It's not your concern when I'm coming back because I have a job for you to do. And he gives them some instruction. He says, I want you to wait at Jerusalem. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit. And when you do, once you get that power, your job is to take the word of God, of God, the truth of the gospel, to the entire world. Now, that's a, that's a pretty big task. You know, when he says in verse 8, you will be witnesses to me, the, word, the Greek word for witness is, is uh, martos, and it's, it's a legal term. It means to testify about what you have seen and experienced. So he goes, you're going to stay in Jerusalem, you're going to get power, but then you're going to go over all the world testifying about what you have seen and experienced through the death, burial, and resurrection. You're going to testify about me. Now look at verse number uh, 9. <clears throat> and when he had spoken these things, uh, while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, 
Why stand you gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So, again, put yourself in the apostles' feet, in the apostles' situation. You dedicated your life to Christ. You gave up everything. Spent three years witnessing with him, serving with him, seeing him do incredible things. You gave your life to be with him. Then he, he dies. He came back three days later, and so for 40 days, you're just ecstatic that Jesus has risen from the dead, and you've got him back, and now he's left again, and he hadn't told you when he's coming back. But he's given you this incredible job. Take the gospel to the entire world. No, no wonder you just kind of stand there watching I don't know how long they stood there. They stood there long enough where God had to send two angels to say, Hey, guys, get busy. Move, shoo, go on. He'll come back one day. You just get busy doing what you got to do. But it's understandable why they're just standing there looking up into heaven going, How are we going to do this? How are we going to get the gospel to the entire world? But this scene right here in Acts chapter 1 this is where the church started. 2,000 years later, we are here today because of these 12 or 11 men, these fishermen, these tax collectors, these doctors, these 12 ordinary men, they started the church, and that's why we're here today. So how did they, these, these 12 men who, look, again, 43 days before, they're running for their lives and hiding. Jesus is being crucified, and they're gone. Every one of them said, we'll stand with you forever, Jesus. And Jesus is arrested. And they're like, peace out, we're gone. These, these 11 cowards, how did they start this movement that's still going today? We're going to notice two things about them. First thing we notice is, number one, their hearts were captured. Their hearts were captured by the message of the gospel. They were captivated by the truth of the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. See, they knew he wasn't a prophet. They knew he wasn't a teacher. They knew he wasn't just some good guy. They knew that he was God in the flesh who became man to live a perfect sinless life to die on the cross in our place to literally become sin for us to shed his blood to die to pay our sin debt and then rose again three days later to redeem us to God the Father they knew this was true they didn't hope for it they weren't wishing on it they knew it was true they knew that Jesus Christ was the only way for anyone to be redeemed to God the Father. They knew that he died in their place, that he became sin for them to pay a debt they had, that they could never pay. They knew that this was the greatest act of love and grace the world had ever seen. The creator died for his creation. They also knew that was the most important message that the world had ever received and everyone had to know it. They knew that was the only hope of salvation all of mankind had. 
They knew there was no other way for people to get to heaven. Good works wouldn't do it. Religion wouldn't do it. Nothing would do it except knowing and believing and receiving the truth of the gospel. Acts 4.2 says, There is no salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They knew that they had the truth that the world had to hear. They had the only way of salvation, and if they didn't get the word out, no one would hear it. So they took that message all around the world. See, they had seen the beauty in the tragedy of Jesus' death. They saw God so glorious that he was worth giving away their lives to spread the message to everyone. See, while they were, were, were with Jesus on earth before his death and resurrection, they'd seen him control the weather. They'd seen him cast out demons with just a word. They'd seen him heal lepers and heal the sick and heal the blind. They'd seen him raise men from the dead. But they also saw him at his greatest hour of need when he could have called on that power to wipe out those who were hurting him. They saw him to turn his back on that power to give his life as a sacrifice for their sins. They saw that incredible act of love. And they were so captivated. They were so captured by the message that later on in the book of Acts, we're going to see it when they are dragged before the religious elite and they are beaten and told, you better stop preaching Christ. They basically tell the religious leaders, you do what you got to do. We're staying faithful to God. You do to us what you have to do to us. We have a message we have to get out. They could not shut up about Jesus. Is, has our hearts been captured like that? Do we spend our time telling people about... Are we passionate saying, look, if, if I don't tell people about God, they're never going to hear. See, our hearts aren't captured by the message like they are. Are we willing to go anywhere, endure whatever persecution we have, endure anything to share this message with the lost? And look, we all have a lot of excuses why we can't. Look, you know, I, I just, people, I don't like talking to people. And look, I'm there with you. I've told you before. I'm an introvert. I don't like people. And God called me to pastor people. It's a cruel joke, amen? Because I like, hey, you don't like people? Guess what? You're going to be part of their lives forever. So anyway, but, you know, so I don't, I don't like big, and I say that in April, like, you can't, I, I don't mean I don't like y'all. I love y'all. I don't like crowds. I don't like strangers. I don't like busy places. So I get going up to a complete stranger and saying, may I, may I talk to you about salvation? I get it. It's hard. It's, it can be nerve-wracking. Maybe you don't know what to say. Maybe, maybe you're not called to go to the mission field. I'm not either. I'm not called to pastor, so it's not my job. Look, none of these men were called to pastor. They were called to be, to be believers, to be Christians, to get the message out. Now, they ended up being pastors and missionaries and evangelists and all that, but that wasn't their calling. Their calling was just, hey, here's a message. Get it to the world. Are we passionate? And look, 
There's all kinds of ways you can be passionate about getting the message out. Brother McCormick, how many tracks did you send out this week? 30 or 40 tracks he sent out. You know how he sends them out? Well, he leaves. Look, if you go to a restaurant and you go to the bathroom and you see a, a track in there that says Jesus loves you, Brother McCormick ate there that day. That's how you can tell. You can track him by that. But he, he, leaves, him to, 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 he leaves him in bathrooms. He gives it to waitress. He, he gives junk mail. And, you know, they send, oh, he send that self-addressed stamped envelope. He puts a track in there and sends it back. Well, that don't work. You don't know. Bible says the word of God doesn't return void. And so, well, that's just silly. We have no idea until we get to heaven how many people have been saved or started searching for God because they, in a, in a mail room in some stupid publisher's clearinghouse warehouse, opened up an envelope and got a track. We don't know. God knows. And you know what? Maybe none of them, nobody gets saved from that. I don't believe that. But even if not, you know what? He's doing something. He's doing something. And look, I'm not just preaching against you. I'm preaching to me. Because I get convicted. That, you know, I, I'm not as faithful as handing out tracts or doing what I should as getting the gospel up. So what, what, what's our excuse? We're not captivated by the message of the gospel. And if we're, we're not really doing that, then we're not part of a movement. See, movements move. You, 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 we are moving with the message. Again, they couldn't shut up about Jesus. Some of you can't shut up about some stuff. I see your Facebook posts. I know there are some things you can't shut up about. You can't shut up about politics. You can't shut up about... And look, I've, got, I've tried to... I see my Facebook posts. You know, they, they always show you that, that, you know, today, your memories from today. I see my posts from, you know, four or five years ago, six years ago, and it's always basketball, football, and I'm like, man, I couldn't shut up about that. I've, I've, I've shut up about it now because... Let's face it, it's embarrassing to be a UVA fan right now. But that's why I stopped talking about it. But some of you, you can't shut up about your favorite sports team, can't shut up about the rules of the game, can't shut up about, you know, vaccines. and You can't shut up about all kinds of stuff. Can we not, can we not shut up about Jesus? Look, flood your Facebook with the gospel. Well, people may unfriend me. So what? You don't know 99% of those people anyway. So let them unfriend you. We are, we are not part of of the movement because we don't care about it. We, we can't really believe the gospel and sit on the sidelines not sharing it. You know, I've told you this, this illustration before. And again, I heard this illustration in a sermon years ago, and the preacher said it was a true story, but you know preachers, when they're behind the pulpit and telling stories, they're liars, all right? So did this happen or not? I don't know. I don't care. It's a good story anyway. He said that there was this, this man driving down the road on an icy uh, winter's night one day, and he was crossing the bridge, and he, he noticed the bridge was out, but he noticed barely in time. He slammed on his brakes and was able to get his car over, and he's just sitting there, you know, breathing heavy. He's, he's just so glad he didn't go over the bridge, and he notices a car go over the bridge. And he's kind of shocked by that, and then he notices another car going over the bridge. So he gets out of his car, and he's trying to wave people down, and People aren't stopping. They're honking their horn and still going. And finally, he sees, a, he sees a school bus coming full of kids. And he thinks, I can't let those kids go over the, the bridge. You know why he thought that? Because he didn't have kids. If he had kids, he'd have been like, bye-bye. 
but he didn't have them. Uh, so he, he stands in the middle of the road and he waves his jacket and he gets the bus to stop. And the, the driver's like, what are you doing, man? Why are you in the, in the middle of the road here? And he told me, because man, the bridge is out. And so him and the driver, they park the bus across the, the road and they're able to stop everyone else from going over that bridge. Because he was determined that he had a message that would save people's lives and they had to hear it. He could have sat on the sidelines and said, well, I saw it. If they don't see it, oh well. But he had to be a part. That's what we have to do. We have to be a part of getting the message out because our hearts have to be captured by the message. Second thing we notice, not only were their hearts captured, number two, they yielded to the Holy Spirit. I want you to look back at Acts chapter 1, verse number 1. <clears throat> the former treaties have I made, O Thelopolis, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, that's a fancy way of saying the first book, the first letter I wrote to you, I told you what Jesus started. This letter I'm writing to you is going to tell you what Jesus is continuing to do. Now, who is Thelopolis? Now, I, I did a lot of study this week about who this guy is. There's a lot of theories about who Thelopolis is. Here's what I've concluded. I don't know. Here's also what I've concluded. It doesn't matter. He could have been a skeptic. He could have been a, We don't know. It doesn't matter who he is because it's the word of God, so it's to us. The important thing is, is Luke. Now, this guy, I got to remember, Acts was written by Luke, and so the first letter Luke wrote was the book of Luke. This is the second letter that Luke is writing, and it's the book of Acts. But Luke is writing this, and he goes, look, the, the first letter I wrote to you I told you the work that Jesus started. Now I'm telling you the work that Jesus is continuing. So Luke is when Jesus started his work on earth. Acts is Jesus continuing his work on earth. Now, it's not Jesus working in the book of Luke and the church working in the book of Acts for Jesus. What he's talking about here, what he's saying here, Luke was Jesus working in the flesh on earth? Acts is Jesus working through his body, which is the church. So the church is the, the, or the body that Jesus is using to continue his work that he began while he was on earth. And so he has invited the church to join him in the work that he is doing, and that is the work of spreading the gospel. Now look at verse number 8. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So they are told, I'm, gonna, I'm leaving. You are to wait. When you receive the Holy Spirit power, then you are gonna get, going to, to get busy doing the work. He knew... He, he gave them the task, and he knew that the task isn't, wasn't something that they were going to do for him. The task was something he was going to do through them. That's why he said, wait till you have the Spirit. Because if you try to do it on your own, you're going to fail. This task is too big for you to do on your own. You have to have me working through you. So he says, here's a work that I'm going to do through you. He had, he had something that he was going to do through them, and so they had to yield to him. 
They had to put aside their plans and wait on God. Now, this promise isn't just for the apostles. This promise of Holy Spirit empowerment to do the work of the gospel was not just for these men that were gathered there. It is for every person who's ever put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We have the same Holy Spirit that they had that empowers us and allows God to work through us to accomplish his will on earth. We have the same power. We have the same spirit. We have the same God. We are called to do the same work. So why aren't we accomplishing everything that they accomplished? Say, so what did they accomplish? Acts 17, the Bible says, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Now, again, that phrase, turn the world upside down, what it's saying is, these men have completely changed the world with the message of the gospel. They did it with no internet. They did it with no Facebook Live. They did it with no modern technology, no houses, no buses, no planes, no TV, no sound systems, no printing press, none of it. They literally got the gospel to every corner of the known world with none of the things that they did. How could they do that? Because they were empowered and submitted and yielded to the Holy Spirit. You know, all they had was the Holy Spirit. Now, we have the same Holy Spirit that they did, plus a whole lot more stuff we can use. So why aren't we turning the world upside down for Jesus? I'm going to show you. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse number 12. Then returned they to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into the upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon, Zelotus and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And I want you to flip over to chapter 2. Look at verse number 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, here's important. From the time Jesus ascended, 40 days after his resurrection, to the day of Pentecost was 10 days. For 10 days, they stayed in that upper room and they prayed. And they sent supplication to God. And then look what happens in verse number 2. And suddenly there came a sound of heaven from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Jesus told them to wait. Wait in Jerusalem until you get the Holy Spirit. Now, did Jesus tell them, yes or no, did Jesus say, go back to Jerusalem and pray until the Spirit comes? Did he say that? No. He didn't say pray. He didn't say, go back and preach. He said, go back and wait. While they waited, they chose to pray. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse number 31. 
And I'm just giving you two examples here in, in Acts. There's many, many, many more we'll get to later on. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Now, chapter 4, they've just been beaten and told, shut up about Jesus. They say, no, go back to the upper room and pray. God, give us boldness to stay faithful to you. And God, because they're praying, gives them Holy Spirit empowerment, and they're able to go out and, and, and preach the gospel. They've been persecuted. They were told to stop preaching, but instead they went and prayed. So what are we missing? We're missing the passion of prayer. Look, these men, again, Jesus ascends says, stay here. When you get the Holy Spirit power, then you'll go out and preach the gospel. They go back to Jerusalem. They go back to the upper room. And for 10 days, they pray. Did they pray for 10 days straight without stopping? No. They elect a new deacon at that time or a new apostle at that time. And I, I'm sure they stopped to eat. I'm sure they stopped to, you know, go use the restroom. I'm sure they, they maybe had times of prayer and then times of praising God and times of song and times of, of preaching. But whatever, they had 10 days where they say, for these 10 days, we're going to stay and we're going to pray and we're going to worship God and we're going to be together until God shows up. If I were to call a 10-day prayer meeting, that I said, hey, for 10 days, we're going to come we're not going to leave. We're going to eat. We're going to have some preaching. We're going to have some prayer time. We're going to have some praise. We're going to sing. You know, we'll have some breaks here and there. But for 10 days, we're going to come together and we're going to pray for God to give us his power. And we're not leaving till he gives it. You know, most of, I don't think any of y'all would show up. I may not even show up. You know why? Well, I got to work. Look, it is 2022. If you want to get out of work for 10 days, just call your boss. Say you were exposed and have a fever. You'll get 10 days off right away. But even if he doesn't, is it that important to us? We're going to come together and we're going to, and look, I got some news for you. I'm doing something like that. I'm not going to make you come here for 10 days straight. I'm going to explain it at the end of the service. But we're going to make, you know, this is the year of prayer. February is going to be a month dedicated to prayer and fasting. I'll get into that in a little bit. But I'm going to ask you, hey, they prayed for 10 days in, in an upper room. Ten days straight, they stayed together. And look, that upper room, I guarantee, they, they showed dedication because I guarantee you on that tenth day, that upper room was stinking. No showers, and they didn't shower at this time anyway, but they were stinky. But they stayed, and they prayed, and they waited. So I'm going to ask you every day to pray. Just take a time, pray, fast, do whatever. But you can do it at home. But I'm going to ask you to do it. But so they were dedicated to praying specifically, because I know we pray, most of us pray, you have a prayer time. We are missing that the prayer for God's spirit to empower us and guide us and give us the passion that we need. You know, most of our prayers are filled with prayers for ourselves. If God answered every prayer you prayed last year, Every prayer, you, every prayer you gave last year, if God answered every single one of them the way you wanted him to, would the world be any different or just your life? Would the world even care? Well, you got everything you asked for, but it didn't affect the world. Now, look, we pray for the sick, and we should. 
We pray for God to be with us. I heard people, you know, people pray this up, Lord, be with me. Look, God's already promised he's never going to leave you, never forsake you. You don't have to pray, God, be with me. God's with you, okay? You don't got to pray for that. God, give us traveling mercies. Again, I pray, I don't know what it is, a traveling mercy. We pray for God to bless our food. We pray for things that don't really matter. We don't pray for the Spirit to empower us and guide us to be used by God to get the message out. Look, our impossible prayer board, I'm, I'm, I'm ex- we've got some prayers answered. Again, if you've got some more answered, be sure to move them. And, but a lot of the prayers, and I've asked you before, make it an impossible prayer. I'm not gonna, I don't know who did it, and I don't mean to call you out, but someone put on there, pray for America. Pray what for America? That's not an impossible prayer. I don't know what I'm praying for. Pray for America to fall into the ocean? That's impossible prayer. We could pray that. I don't know what you're praying for. So pray for America is a generic prayer. That's not what we want. Pray for my, my son to be saved. Man, that's specific. That's great. That's awesome. We should put it up there. We should pray for it. But what else are we doing? I'm going to stick it on the board and help God take care of it? No. Pray for it, yes. But then God... Give me boldness to witness to my grandson, to witness to my child, to witness to my wife, to witness to these people, to give them the truth of the gospel. Look, we always pray, God, save so-and-so. You know, the prayer for God to save someone is never found in the Bible. No one ever prayed, God, please save Saul. Please save whoever. You know, how, you know what they did? God, use me to help them get the gospel. And they went out and did the work. Pray for boldness. Pray to help you proclaim the gospel to them. Pray for power to be used by him to build his kingdom in a real way. We got the, we got the religious aspect. Of, we'll pray. But that's all, the whole point of this whole year of prayer. Let's make our prayers mean something. Let's make our prayers accomplish something. And look, again, I, I understand. I try to stay out of politics because most of y'all, if y'all knew my political stance, would be so mad at me. Because uh, again, I'm not a, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I'm I don't know, I don't like either one of them. I'm a Libertarian, bless God. And so most of y'all would be mad at me for some of the things I believe. But anyway, I stay out of politics. Praying for God to give us a good president. Yeah, do I think God cares about our country? Yes, I do. Do I think that's going to change the world for the kingdom of God? No. No, it's not. Instead of praying for a new president, let's pray for God to give us boldness, to, to witness, to give us the unction to go out and, and see people saved, to give us the, the ability to give money, to send missionaries to places we can't go. Let's make our prayers passionate. You know, I don't want our, pl- our church to be a place where people come for religious practice. I don't, want, I don't want New Grace to be a place people come because, well, I can go there and feel spiritual for a day. I want it to be a movement that changes Roanoke, that changes Virginia, that changes America, and changes the world for God. I want people in the Roanoke Valley to say those people at New Grace, man, they, tur- they turned our community upside down. They changed our community with the gospel. That's what I want us, people to say about us. I want us to be empowered, to be led by the Spirit, to be used by God to share the message of the gospel.
movements move. It's what they do. We need to be captured by the message of the gospel and yielded to the spirit to be used to share the gospel. So if you're not moving, you're not captured by the message. If you're not yielded to the spirit, it's okay. Because we can get there, but it starts with prayer. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.